Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you Today, I'm starting a teaching at a title, Increase in Faith. Increase in Faith. I've taught about how to increase in favor. Now, we are going to look at how to increase in faith. Everybody say, increase in faith. You know, faith is the subject that is probably the most important subject of the New Testament. Apostle Paul summarized it. He said, the just shall live by faith. That means the just will die without faith. So, what is faith? What is faith? Faith is defined, according to the Bible, as the expression of your belief in what God has spoken to you. Faith is expressing your belief in what God has spoken to you. And you express that belief by confessing it and acting upon it. So, faith is a verb. It's an action. It is the action you take to demonstrate your belief in what God has spoken to you, and you demonstrate that belief by speaking it and acting on it. So faith can be seen. We'll start reading from the book of Luke chapter 17, from verse 5 to 6. Luke 17, from verse 5. It says, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase. Our faith. Increase our faith. Somebody say, Lord, increase my faith. Can you say it one more time? Say, Lord, increase my faith. Say it one more time. Say, Lord, increase my faith. So, something might have happened. The disciples have been watching Jesus, studying the way he goes about things, the way miracles happen in his life, the way he lived his life. I'm sure they were studying And they were trying to practice some of the things he practiced. And they saw that the result that Jesus was getting is different from the results they were getting. After some time, I think they got to conclude that it looks like this guy has more faith than us. Because we do the same thing he does. We get different results. We say the same things he says. We get different results. And then they came to him and they said, increase our faith. And... They said this because they thought there's some magic Jesus would do, and then all their faith would just rise. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how we can increase our faith. They said, Lord, you increase our faith for us. Because most of the time, we always want it quick. We don't believe in responsibility. We don't want to learn how to do things. We want things to happen for us. Then Jesus responded in verse 6. The Lord said, if you have faith as a master seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus said, you want to see your faith increase? It's simple. Number one, you need to acknowledge the fact that the small faith you have can be put into action. Put the little one you have into action. So you increase your faith by putting the little faith you have into action. The problem is that you cannot put your faith into action unless you understand what faith is and how it operates. So, Faith is expressing your belief in what God has spoken to you. The Greek word for faith is pistis. The word faith is very scarce in the Old Testament and very, very common in the New Testament. The most critical word in the New Testament is faith. Why? Because that is the anchor on which our 
relationship with God is established. And because the New Testament is written in Greek, you will see that word very often, very common in its use and practice in the Bible. And the meaning of that word pistis is conviction. That's why I like the exhortation today. Conviction that is based on evidence or hearing, full assurance or believing the credibility or the reliability of a person who has spoken to you. So conviction that you get based on the credibility of somebody who has told you something or based on your own findings, you have evidence to believe that this thing is exactly like this. If you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews 11 tries to define faith. He said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is the substance. When we say substance, it means a tangible thing. It is a tangible, it's not an abstract imagination. It's not something that is existing in another world. Faith is tangible. It is the substance of the things hoped for. To hope for something means you are expecting it in the future. But the Bible says when you have faith, even though you are expecting the thing in the future, you believe that you have it. That is faith. In other words, faith means believe that something is there even though you cannot see it. Believe that something is there. Not that the thing is going to be there. If it's going to be there, that is hope. But believe that something is there even though you cannot see it. That is faith. You know, when you study the definition of faith, you see that faith is not only practiced by Christians. Faith is practiced by many people, only that they don't practice it towards God. For instance, somebody who has a credit card can carry the credit card alone and walk into any modern shop. Does he have money? Yes, he believes he has money. Can you see the money? No, you can't see the money, but he believes the money is there. And the evidence that he has the money is that he holds a card in his hands. So faith is that thing you hold in your hand that makes you say, I have this or I am this, even though you cannot see it physically. It means ability to see things beyond the physical. So faith makes you to believe. You see, nobody needs to believe I'm here now. Do you need to believe it? No. Why? You can see me. We don't believe in what is obvious, what you can see. But if somebody is not in church, and he calls to ask you, is pastor in church? And you say, yes, he's in church. That person needs to believe. But for him to believe that pastor is truly in church, he needs to be sure if you are an honest person or you are a liar. Because if you are a liar, he may try to call somebody else to cross-check you. So what is faith? The expression of your belief in what God has spoken to you by confessing it and acting on it. So this statement means that faith must have a basis. Because for you to believe in somebody, there are two important things that must be in place. Two important things. The first one is integrity. Integrity. You can never believe a liar. Even if that liar is telling the truth, you still, you still won't believe it. The, one of the reasons why it's good to tell the truth all the time is that it makes people trust you. If you are a liar, one day you may be telling the truth, but they will still look at you and say, liar, you are lying. 
because you have earned for yourself a reputation that makes people not to believe you. You can never trust somebody who is a liar. So integrity is the number one basis for belief. The second one is ability. Ability. You can only believe somebody when you know he can do what he's saying he will do. So if I make you a promise, tomorrow, come and see me, I'll give you $1 million. Question is, can Pastor Hubert do that? If you are sure I can give it, you'll go home relaxed. In fact, you'll be telling people I'm rich already. You haven't seen the money, but based on the fact that, you know, giving you $1 million is, is nothing to me. Like, I have it too much. You go home planning. You take a pen and paper and start planning a lot of things. You haven't got the money yet, though. You see, so two things must be in place for faith to work. The first one is integrity. The second one is ability. Anytime somebody tells you something, or anytime somebody makes you a promise, you are looking at whether the person is honest, number two, whether the person can do it. The person may be honest, but if he doesn't have the capacity to do it, be rest assured that tomorrow morning he will tell you sorry. Circumstances beyond my control will not permit me as much as I strongly want to help you. I really, really, really want to do it. I have the desire and the willingness, but I don't have the means. So why should we have faith in God? Why should we believe in God? Because God has integrity. The Bible says that he cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19 is one of the most important verses in the whole Bible. It said, God is not a human being that he should lie. God is not a human being to lie. He's a spirit, and he has a track record of being faithful. Titus chapter 1, verse 2, Titus 1, verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God cannot lie. It is not in his nature to lie. Just like I can never become a woman, so God cannot lie. My biological makeup does not permit me to one day get up and say, I want to become a woman. Even if I desire it, I cannot do it. I can never be pregnant. I can never give birth. Can I? No. I cannot give birth to a child because I'm a man. When I say give birth, you understand what I mean. Conceive. Go through nine months of pregnancy, go to the labor ward, push, I cannot do it. Just as a man cannot become a woman, God can never lie. God can never lie. Tend to never tell him, God can never lie. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 13, 2 Timothy 2, verse 11 to 13, God cannot lie. Everybody else can lie. How many have lied here before? If you haven't lied before, stand up so that we celebrate you. Everybody has lied before. So what's the definition of a liar? A liar is somebody who consistently tells lies, and his whole life is in deception. If a liar is somebody who has lied before, I'm telling you, all of us are liars. But the Bible said that as much as many of you are not liars because you don't do it all the time, once in a while, circumstances will make you to lie. Is it true? But the Bible said, God, there is no time, not even once in a while, that 
any circumstance on the earth will cause him to lie. The day he does that, he ceases to be God. God can never lie. So Apostle Paul made a statement to Timothy. It is said that in the early church, it was a statement of faith. Like today we have statement of faith. We have the Christian creed. You know the Christian creed? You know, so they had something that they, they recite during water baptism. And this is what they say. Can we read it together? They said, this is a faithful saying. For if we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's analyze this scripture from the beginning again. Verse 11. He said, well, if we die with him, we will also what? Live with him. Then verse 12 says, if we endure or if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. Then it became more serious. The serious one is what? If we deny him, he will also what? Deny us. I think it makes sense, isn't it? If we deny him, he will deny. In other words, you sow and you reap, isn't it? You sow and you reap. That's fairness. You want more of him, you must give more of yourself. If you deny him, he will what? Yes. Then the next verse is very shocking. He said, if we are faithless or if we fail to believe him, you know the Bible said, if we deny him, he will deny us. So I was expecting the next verse to say, if we are faithless, then God too will be what? Faithless. But suddenly, he has something to do with his nature. <laughs> it has something to do with his nature. So suddenly, when he said, if you deny me, me too, I'll deny you. Then the next one he said, but if you are faithless, as for that place, I'm handicapped. There's nothing I can do. I will remain faithful. Why? I cannot deny myself. He cannot deny. What makes God God is his integrity. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. God is faithful. When somebody is faithful, it means that you can trust him. He cannot lie. When he says something, he means it. And he never opens his mouth to say anything unless he first means it. God doesn't play with words. He doesn't say things, oh, I was joking. Every time he's serious, his word carries that 100% element of reliability and truthfulness. So when you are dealing with God, you are not dealing with a human being. That is why it's always safer to deal with God because of his integrity. The second basis for our faith is God's ability. What is the basis for your faith in God? Number one, he cannot lie. Number two, there is nothing too hard for him. Luke one thirty seven says that with God, all things are possible. There is no circumstance too difficult for God to do. There is nothing that God cannot do. So if somebody is talking to you who has all the power, he's called the almighty God. Almighty God. El Shaddai. He controls all authority, all power, all might. So when he tells you, I'm going to do this for you, you have to stop wondering how is it going to happen. That is the basis for this scripture. In fact, it was Mary who asked the angel, how 
can a virgin become pregnant? And then she said, God said you will be pregnant. So don't worry, you are going to be pregnant. So God's ability is that he is omnipotent. The word omnipotent uh, means always full of all power. The word omnipotent comes from two root words. The first root word is omni, O-M-N-I. It means always. It also means all. That's why that word is always only used with God all the time. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. It means always all. The word potent means power. It means ability. So put omni and potent together. It means always full of all power and ability. That is the God we serve. There is nothing too hard for him. With God, nothing, nothing, nothing. So it gives us a basis. Jeremiah 32, 17, he said, Behold, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard? There is nothing too hard. Look at the right hand and say, There is nothing too hard for the Lord. One more time. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. One of the popular scriptures that we all are familiar with is in 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. From verse 1. It said, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a seer of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. You see, when you begin to deal with God, one of the things you must become familiar with is that God will not always speak in the usual. Not everything God says to you will be usual. God will always speak things that are contrary to natural laws and natural reasoning. That is what the Bible says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Because if you are dealing with God, you have to come to the place of learning not to always live your life by what you see around you. Because God will not always be speaking to confirm the realities around you. He speaks to contradict the realities around you. Yeah. So if they have been farming for over seven years, and then a prophet gets up and says, God is talking to me that tomorrow about this time, there will be so much abundance of food. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But no matter how senseless that statement is, you need to consider who is saying it. Once you are able to take your time to think through who said that, it changes how you handle that information. If it is God who said it, you better be careful how you react to it. God told Elisha, tell the king that tomorrow about this time. But naturally, naturally, the response of ordinary men um, will always be like, what happened in verse 2? Verse 2, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord will make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And Elisha said to him, what Elisha said, he said, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, why is it that the man is not going to enjoy this miracle? Because he did not believe. He did not believe. He doubted. Now, why did he doubt? He couldn't figure out that God is faithful. He also couldn't figure out that God can do all things. 
Because once you can establish that in your mind, number one, God is faithful. Number two, he can do all things. These two things will make it easy for you to exercise faith. Number one, God is faithful. He cannot deny himself. Even if we are not faithful, even if we decide to be unfaithful, he remains faithful. He's not a liar. He can't lie. And he can never become incapacitated. He's always full of all ability. There is nothing he cannot do. Now, what God said to the king, did it happen or not? It happened. If we read from verse 15, take us to verse 16. Then the people went out and planted the tents of the Syrians. So a seer of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seers of barley for a shekel, according to what? The word of the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Somebody say the word of the Lord. Somebody say the word of the Lord. So if you become a child of God, one of the things I want you to know is that a lot must happen in your life not because of you, but because of what God has spoken concerning all his children. Once you become a child of God, you need to find out what has God said about me. There is so much that is supposed to happen in your life just because you are a child of God. It happened just, like, just as Elisha spoke it. Why? Because it was God who spoke to Elisha according to the word of the Lord. Then verse 17 is very interesting. Verse 17. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate and he died. So the king wanted to ask somebody to do something and as if it was just an accident, but it was not an accident. See, there is a word that has gone forth that must come to pass. So some way, somehow, it was this same man who, who challenged and ridiculed God, God's word that was selected, be at the gate. And when hungry people heard, hear of food, you know, they just finished him in a few minutes. And he saw what happened, but he did not enjoy it. You will not be among the Christians who always see other people's testimonies, but it doesn't happen in your life. Yeah. So in church or in Christendom, the difference between the people who are seeing God working in their lives and those who are not seeing God working in their life is faith. Faith in God. Ability to discern what is God saying now and ability to express your belief in what God is saying. First, believing it, confessing it, and acting upon it. Okay, let me take you through five importance of faith. Why is faith very, very important? Why is faith important? Number one, it takes faith to receive answers to your prayers. It takes faith to receive answers to your prayers. Matthew 21 verse 22 says that anytime you are praying, Jesus was teaching, he said, anytime you are praying to God, anything you ask in faith, God will give it to you. That was Jesus' teaching. He said, and whatever things. So the issue is not about the things. The issue is the faith. Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Believing. And James 1 verse 6 says that anytime you're asking God for something, ask in faith, not with doubt. Doubt means, oh, will he do it? Will he not do it? Maybe he'll do it. Oh, maybe he's too busy. Maybe... Doubt is saying, I'm not sure whether I will do it too. You know, when you finish praying, you go and ask somebody, are you sure this thing, God will be, it means that 
You have already spoiled the prayer. Doubt is you are not sure. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let him ask in faith. Verse 7 says something very interesting. Look at verse 7. It says, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. It's a serious thing. So you can be going to church and very religious, but with no faith. Let not that person think ever. So it's not how you shout. It's not how long you have been going to church. So those are small boys. We have, you know, we are the, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's not how spiritual you are. <laughs> the faith with which you prayed. It's not the jargons. It's not the jargons. You can copy somebody's jargons and get no results. You can even say in the name of Jesus, but with no faith, it produces no results. The name of Jesus by itself does nothing. That's why some people mentioned the name of Jesus to a demon, and the demon became angry and decided to discipline the people. Let not that man. So the number one importance of faith is what? Faith is what enables you to receive answers to your prayer. Number two, it takes faith to enjoy God's promises. Hebrews 4 verse 2. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word preached which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. They heard the promise, but it did not benefit them. Every now and then, we, we hear a lot of promises of God. We hear a lot of things God is speaking. There are people who hear what God is saying, and they crack a joke with it, and that's the end. They did not believe it. It did not profit them. It is not that God refused to help them, but God is incapable of doing anything to somebody unless the person has faith. Faith is what attracts God's power to flow in your direction. So the word which they heard did not profit them, not because God is a liar, but because they heard it, but they did not receive it with faith. They did not receive it with faith. Number three, number three, importance of faith. It takes faith to overcome the challenges of life. Life is full of challenges. In the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, anyone born of God is an overcomer. To be born of God simply means to become a child of God by receiving Jesus into your life. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a child of God. It means that, what it means is that you have become a child of God and the life of God now flows in your life. You become an overcomer. Yeah. So by destiny and by status, you are what? An overcomer. Somebody say, I'm an overcomer. Okay. But you can be an overcomer by status and still be defeated in reality. You can be rich in status and still be poor in reality. Because you have money in your accounts, but you don't know how to assess it. Every child of God is what? An overcomer. Somebody say, I'm an overcomer. And he said, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. What? Our faith. So what translates your status into reality is your faith. Somebody put your hand over your chest and say, my faith. Yeah, not somebody's faith. Christianity is a personal relationship with God in which you develop and build your own faith. Not always hanging around people's faith. 
Not always holding on to people, hoping that you will benefit some surplus blessings from them. No. Developing your own relationship with God to the point where you have faith in God all by yourself. That is the key to becoming an overcomer in reality. In reality. In everyday life. Because you cannot run away from the challenges of life. Let me say that again. Running away from challenges is just a delusion. You have a problem here, you run. You meet it there. In fact, by the time you read there, it's there waiting for you. Challenges in your career. Challenges in your marriage. Challenges with your health. Challenges with your family. Challenges with your children. Challenges everywhere you go. From morning till you go back to bed. Even when you are sleeping, challenges in your dreams. Challenges everywhere. Even if you decide to isolate yourself, go and build a cottage in the forest. I don't want to interact with people again. I want to be free. Even in, over there, you have challenges. Number one challenge, you have loneliness. There are challenges. Life is full of challenges. But you can overcome them one after the other. One after the other. One after the other. One after the other. I see you as an overcomer. May you overcome every challenge in your life. In the name of Jesus, may you overcome every challenge in your marriage, every challenge in your health, every challenge in your business, every challenge in your finances. No matter what you're going through, I pray today in the name of Jesus, may you overcome them one after the other. In Jesus' name. One of the reasons why God wants us never to run away from challenges, can I tell you why? Because if you know how to overcome one, you can overcome the next and the next. If you know how to overcome the challenge of today, you never become afraid of tomorrow again. If you run away today, you run away tomorrow and the other day, and you keep running and running. I want to suggest to somebody, stop running. Stop running. Face that challenge. You are capable of overcoming it. You have enough power and strength. You know, the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10, probably verse 13, it said, no temptation has overcome taking you except such as is what? Common. You know, sometimes I meet people who think that they are very special when it comes to problems. Like their problem is special. They will tell you that, you know, what I'm going to, nobody has gone through on earth before. Like I am the only one. No, you are lying. You, are, you have no idea. People's own is bigger than yours. But they are still smiling and moving on. So give me a break. Stop all this exaggerating of your, you know, Little, little challenges and have faith in God. Exercise faith. The part I like most is that he said, but God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able? You know what that means? God will never let me battle anything beyond my strength. So once the battle comes, I know I have the strength for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The ones I cannot handle, he takes care of them for me. The ones come to me, I know I have the strength. And some of you, God is saying, yes, my daughter, you can do it. You can, beat, you can beat into it. Don't run. Don't give up. Take a stand. Face it. Fight it. And you are running. God is by the ring cheering you. And say, that, that thing is small. You can beat it down. Go and face it. He is faithful. Listen, that problem you are going through is not beyond you. Yeah. Can I tell you why I'm saying it's not greater than you? Because it couldn't kill you. If the devil will have his way. That problem should have killed you by now. But it couldn't kill you because there's something in you that makes you able to overcome it. 
The reason why you haven't overcome is because you believe you cannot overcome it. By nature, you are an overcomer, but you don't believe that you can overcome it. But today, I want you to know, you can overcome that financial challenge. In the name of Jesus. You can overcome that limitation in your life. You can overcome all the powers in your family background. You can overcome all the limitations in your family. You can, you can. Listen, listen, let me tell you. If your family demons were powerful enough to hinder your destiny, God wouldn't have permitted for you to be born there. (laughs) So my family demons is not my problem. The problem is me. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God could have decided I should be born an American or or a Jamaican. What do you think? It would have been very wonderful because... Or God could have decided I should be a fanti or a frafra or something. God decided I should be born into the Hubert family because there's nothing there that can stop my destiny unless I allow it. This is the victory that overcomes. Number four, it takes faith to overcome the demonic powers that contend against us. If you don't have faith, you lose every battle with the devil. It takes faith to defeat Satan. It takes faith to defeat Satan. You are an overcomer, but it takes faith to defeat Satan. Satan is the loser. Yes, we agree, but he's winning in some places. Do you know a a, a loser can still win a match? It depends on how the match went. So the fact that he's a loser doesn't mean that you just fight anyhow. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. 1 Peter 5 verse 8. He said, be sober and be vigilant. Uh-huh. So, this scripture means that. So, Satan is a loser, but you can't be careless. In fact, the number one reason why many people lose, suffer defeat in the face of Satan is because they are careless. Careless Christians. They say, oh, don't worry about Satan. Oh, Satan is a loser. Satan is a loser. Be sober. Sober means alert in your mind. And be vigilant. Vigilant means be watchful. If you're a Christian, you want to defeat the devil, you must be watchful. Because most of the times, when Satan is at work, the signs are on the wall. <laughs> most of the time. You don't need a vision to discern the devil at work. You can see it. Now, he said, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may Devour. Satan is always looking for people to destroy. He's always looking for people to destroy. He's always looking. looking. Look at verse 9. He said, resist him. I like that. He didn't say bargain with him. He didn't say negotiate with the devil. He said, resist him. How? Steadfast in the faith. You can only resist the devil when you are steadfast in the faith. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. So when you have no faith, you cannot defeat the devil. You are born an overcomer, but it takes faith for you to even overcome Satan and his works. May you defeat Satan. May you defeat every demonic power that comes against you. So it means that if Satan defeats you, it's not because you are a very bad person. If Satan defeats you, it's not because you are not even prayerful. If Satan defeats you, it's not because you are weak. It is because you don't have faith. When you don't have faith, he will beat you to it all the time. No matter how long you pray, no matter how religious you are, no matter how long you go to church, no matter how strong you think you are, he will beat you to it all the time. 
So Ephesians 6, 16 says something. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Ephesians said, faith is like a shield. You know, in the time Paul was writing this Bible, the Roman soldiers wear a military attire and they, and they carry sword and shield. The shield is what they use to block weapons or protect themselves. Bible said, faith is like a shield. It helps you to protect yourself from all the fiery arrows. That means Satan is an expert at shooting arrows all the time. Arrows of fear, arrows of sickness, arrows of confusion, arrows of anger. You know, sometimes you wake up and you're annoyed. Now you are looking for the reason why you are annoyed. That means Satan has shot an arrow. Sometimes you just wake up and you are scared. Now what is, why are you afraid? You can't, you are not looking for the reason. You put fear in you. Bible said the only thing that can protect you from the arrows, and it's not only arrows, fiery arrows. That means an arrow that has fire on his head coming at you. You can't stop Satan from shooting arrows against you. You can never stop Satan from shooting arrows against you. In fact, why you think you are hiding, probably he's also hiding there. The only protection you can have from the arrows of Satan is your faith. It's your faith. It's your faith. The last one, it takes faith to please God and to have a good relationship with God. If you don't have faith, you cannot relate with God well. Your relationship with God will always be, you know, going up and down, going east and west. You know, it will not be stable. It will not be strong. A strong relationship is the one that is established by faith. Let me say this as I close. Let me say this. God's greatest pain is to be doubted. One thing that hurts God most is when, when we doubt him. It hurts God more when we doubt him than when we sin. It hurts God more when we doubt him than when we do any other thing else. Because anytime we doubt God, we are trying to question his integrity and his ability. We begin to question. Begin to, it means that we have questions about his integrity and his ability. Yeah. So the book of Hebrews 11 verse 6 said, Without faith, it is not possible to please God. Without faith, it is not possible to please God. Without faith, it's not possible. Why? Because your faith in God is the most important thing to him. Every other thing else is secondary. God's greatest joy is to be believed. God's greatest pleasure is what? To be believed. You can do everything else for him. If you don't believe in him, you haven't touched his heart. You can give him a lot of money. You can do a lot of things. But what excites God most is when you believe him. That is why he rewards people who believe him by blessing them. Yeah, I can show you one scripture for it as we close. The book of Genesis chapter 15 from verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. <laughs> Abraham didn't do anything to be called righteous. He believed God, and God said from today, you're a righteous person. Because you believe me. You believe me. What, you, know, you know what it means to last look into the stars and said, okay, I believe that my children will be plenty like that. When you don't have any child at the age of 90, when you don't have any child at the age of 90, and God can say such a thing, and you still believe it, 
God said, from today, Abraham, you are righteous. When we walk in faith, we please the Lord. God is always happy about that based on our faith. I want to say that over and over and over. God is always happy about us to the extent that we believe him. We were taught that if you want God to be happy with you, be very holy. I believe in holiness. I believe in upright living. But I want to say that if you are walking in unbelief, your holiness will never make God to be happy with you. It is your faith first before your holiness. It is your faith first before your righteousness. It is your faith first before your giving. It is your faith first before anything else you do will work. That is why anything you do for him without faith will produce no results. You can give and give and give if you didn't do it with faith. You can give your tithes, but if you didn't do it with faith, you do it with a lot of complaint. Oh, they have come again. Every time they are worrying us. We don't even know what they are doing with the money. You know, when you start saying all those things in your heart, all your faith is gone. You are doing it as a duty. Never do anything for God because it's a duty. If you serve in the church, let it be an act of faith, not a duty. Not a duty. If it's just duty, you don't get any reward from God, including even as the pastors. The people who do this ministry work as an employment, they don't get blessed. They don't prosper. Because ministry is not a duty. It's a calling that we pursue out of faith in the God who called us. Let's stand up and pray. Can you lift up your two hands to God and ask the Lord to increase your understanding in his word and give you grace to exercise your faith. Father, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. I pray increase upon increase. But this month, we'll see increase in the exercise of our faith. In the name of Jesus, increase, 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 increase. I rebuke every assignment of the enemy against your life. I destroy every attack of the enemy against your life. The Lord give you power to overcome. May you overcome the challenges and the difficulties that you are going through in the name of Jesus. The Lord take you to a new level of faith. May you overcome and defeat every work of the enemy against you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.